Jason. Today's episode of the Lee Summit Town Hall Podcast is brought to the good people by Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Budget Blinds! I don't know if you knew this or not, but Budget Blinds have some of the best people in our community. They are, and we have said this before, they are very much good eggs. That they are. They are always doing things to help out the community and, but wait, there's more. Ooh, what else are they doing? They are the home of the Signature Series Shades. So when you're ready to make your home a smart home, this is the place you need to go to. You're going to call Budget Blinds, and you're going to say, all hail, my robot shade overlords. And they're going to know what you need, and they're going to hook you up with Signature Series Shades. So when you're ready to make that decision, head on over to our friends at Budget Blinds of Lee Summit right in the heart of downtown. Tell them Jason next thing. Hello and welcome to this Friday edition of the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast. I'm excited for a uh, return guest today, Reggie Gray. Welcome back. Oh, excited to be back, my brother. Now, Reggie, you are uh, one of the owners of a new downtown restaurant. It's not a new restaurant, but new downtown, Sabor Latino. You know it. And um, it has quickly become one of my favorites. Uh, and that's not just because it's only two blocks away from the house. <laughs> Literally. but uh, Or across the street from, from the studio. But it is, it's, it's, it's a great restaurant. We love the food. We love the atmosphere. And um, we even love the atmosphere. We can go get it and take out now. Cause, you know it. Because uh, your world, like everybody else, got turned a little bit upside down. Understatement. You guys opened in February. Yes. Had a great opening month. Amazing. And then, Cold. screeching halt. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Literally had a month and a half. We opened February 2nd. So the good news is we opened, uh, I think we did our soft opening on Super Bowl Sunday. That's right. Yeah, we, we went and picked up food. Yeah. <laughs> or no, actually, I think we went in. Yeah, that was your soft opening. Yep. Because we went into the restaurant for the first time, uh, Parade Day. Parade Day. Yeah, that was kind of like a crazy timing how we did all that. But uh, we'll never forget our our opening because it was so special for our city we're talking about our kansas city chiefs after decades we finally you know win the super bowl so everybody was everybody was, was very very happy oh yes it. yes and we, <laughs> we we felt the uh energy it was contagious well I, I, you know i think we're gonna come back and we'll talk some more about about sabor but um i met you a couple years ago mm-hmm. you did a presentation for velocity um here at at bridge space and you've kind of an interesting business story. You're at least somewhat resident, but but you you've you've worked elsewhere. You've had businesses elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. So I I want to hear a little bit about about who Reggie is because you are a um a magician. Oh my goodness. Turned real estate guy. <laughs> turned um, digital publisher. Turned restaurateur. Yeah. Uh, how do you go from pulling a rabbit out of the hat? <laughs> Literally, <laughs> <laughs> into into all these things. So I, I'm curious a little bit about how how you how you got started in the in, as an entrepreneur because that's a I've been doing it for a few years now, but I still tell people I'm an accidental entrepreneur. Mm. Um, Those are some of the best ones too. Well, it, it's great for me um, emotionally. I'm still figuring out the financial success part. Uh, forever. <laughs> um, yeah. But but I'm always curious about about what triggers people to 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 spend their life creating their own businesses doing their own things i tell people i wouldn't have done this if i hadn't had the corporate job the last corporate job Mm -hmm. i had where i spent time around entrepreneurs Um, it was commercial real estate and so these people that that was the life they worked in it was a lot of them that was their clients Mm -hmm. too so if I hadn't had that experience, even though it was a job I really t- completely did not enjoy. <laughs> had to get out of that then. It did put me around people that that put the idea in my head that maybe I could do this as mm-hmm. scary as it is. And it's still a little bit scary. Oh, it's scary. I, yeah. Um, so I'm curious, like, what was that something for you always? Did you, did you know early on, I'm going to be my own boss, I'm going to have my own businesses? Was that always your goal? 
uh, I'm very blessed and fortunate that I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. And it, and it all started with the village I had around me. I had a very uh, a supportive village, educated village, and a village that was always dream big. Uh, don't give excuses. Uh, go out there for what you believe in. So it actually all started as a magician in my hometown of Baltimore, Maryland. I'm an East Coast guy, born and raised uh, in Baltimore. And I try not to bring color into a lot of things, but sometimes it's important. Um, Baltimore, which is a uh, a very black city, because for those of you who don't know, I am a brother, yeah. And um, Baltimore, when I was uh, four years old, there was a magician at my birthday party. And come on, most people, when you think of the stereotypical magician, you think of an old white guy, gray hair, uh, with a top hat and a tuxedo on. Well, I had a brogician. Uh, that's what I called myself. <laughs> Uh, I had a, a, a magician that was African-American, and he was amazing. And to see someone who looked like me doing something different, uh, didn't understand at the time, but it was, it, was, it was powerful. And then I had parents who knew they had a child that was free-spirited, lots of energy, loved attention. And when you have kids like that, uh, you have to keep them active. And you can make so many mistakes. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. I admire all of them. Uh, but my mother. You can and, lie to me and say uh, that I am. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Well, come on. I know your family. You're phenomenal, <laughs> brother. Yeah. But uh, my mother and father supported me, and I became a professional magician at the age of 12. Wow. Yeah. So, but but mom and my mom was the big one who said, Reggie, this is a business. So she gave me a loan of $500 to buy my magic box. And at my 12? At 12. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yep. I mean, I was making $100 an hour at 13 and 14. So having a conventional job was always difficult for me to fathom because I came from a world where I make doctors pay even though I'm not doing 40 hours consistently a, a, a month or a week. But I was making a, a crazy amount an hour. So the few uh, conventional jobs I did have, which is two in my entire life, and one of them lasted a year and the other one a month, I mean, I just couldn't get around it. You know? Well, I want to I stick a pin in the, in the talk about race and stuff because I do want to come back to that. And okay. I think it's important to talk about you saw somebody that looks like you, and that's mm -hmm. important. And, and especially in, in the context of today, I just broke one of the cardinal rules and punched my own <laughs> microphone. Um, but in the in the context of today, I think I think we do need to talk about it, and I want to mm -hmm. come back to that. But I want to I want to talk first a little bit about about magic and, and and about business. Was it was it just that he looked like you that grabbed you, or was there a part of the magic, the show? The showmanship of it, the oh. things he did, I mean, that part of it too. Come on. What I want to know is, what I want to know is, is what was what was the trick that hooked you? <laughs> uh, like most kids, uh, it was probably he was a ventriloquist as well. So that's one reason why when I did come to when I started my entertainment business in the Midwest, I took off so fast because I was good at so much. I was a magician, juggler, balloon artist, motivational speaker. I did everything and that's the world i come from on the east coast see east coast west coast midwest i love the midwest now but the east coast uh the entertainer he had a talking rabbit so he was a ventriloquist as well he was a yo-yo expert he had a live rabbit so as most kids i was just in awe of just does anybody yo-yo anymore it's, it's not as popular as it was, I think, when we were kids. <laughs> right. But it's actually professional yo-yo artists who actually make money off of doing different tricks and skills. And, I mean, it's amazing the things that become businesses that started off as a hobby. I always tell people, don't downplay your hobbies because you never know when it could become a business, something you generate revenue from. And, listen, life is short. Find what you love to do. So many people work a job their entire lives, and then what? Then, then you die. Come on, life is short. Figure out what it is you love to do, even if you're not making money. Find what you're passionate about. How, how fair is that? And I sometimes, I sometimes ask this question because I feel like you know all the motivational speakers <laughs> and all of those positive message yeah. memes that you see on social media and all that, it's all like, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day yeah. in your life. <laughs> not everybody can jump off that cliff. Correct. And I agree. go turn their passion, their hobby into a business. I agree. And I'm not even saying turn it into a get rich business. Mm -hmm. Even turn it into I can live. Yeah. 
business. How fair is that? To say, to keep saying that. It's a great message, and I don't want to talk down to you, but no. I just wonder how fair is that. And sometimes I think about that. And even when I'm, you know, I have a 13-year-old son. And even when I'm talking to him about the decisions I make and the thing that I things that I do, which are my passion and I'm making a business out of it, am I setting him up? Is that fair of me? That That is a good question. Because I'll say this, first of all, earlier uh, as a younger entrepreneur, I was more naive. And I would say, everybody should be an entrepreneur. Why is anybody working a job? And then through life, I learned that not everyone is meant to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> not everyone is meant to start a business. There's so many people who are business owners who shouldn't be. Um, I will say this. We are all unique, different individuals. Uh, what works for one person may not work for another. I'm just a naturally optimistic, positive type person. So it doesn't matter what's going on. I'm always going to say, hey, figure out what you love to do. Take the money out of it. Just figure out what you love to do. Because really, what, what does money mean? Money really means that it affects the way you live uh, and, and really your comfort level, level. But if you're unhappy broke, you'll probably be unhappy rich. I mean, people take money out of context. I learned a lot once I made a lot and lost it all. That 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 was my wake-up call. So I, I think to each his own, but I think the more we learn about ourselves, the the better we can be as, as people because everybody's different. So positive, that's how I am. I'm the half glass, <laughs> the glass is half full, but not everybody's like that. No, I'm a natural cynic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm learning, brother. <laughs> So did you have a uh, did you have a signature uh, thing part of your act? Uh, it's weird. I always say uh, jokingly that my white brothers and sisters, uh, whatever funny black person it is at the time, that's who I was. So I was like, "Hey, you the Eddie Murphy of the Magic World." So you, had a, you had a Chris Rock phase. Uh, you had a- <laughs> uh, Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, Martin Lawrence. You know, whatever funny black person it was, I was that. Plus, I'll say this: um, I would always tell people. I'm not a great magician. You can go and hire great magicians. I was an entertainer, and I was a children's and family entertainer. So that means I knew my niche. I wasn't out here trying to do card tricks. I was loud. I was over the top. I was high energy. I would make your two- and three- and four-year-olds fall in love because I would get on their level, and I loved what I did, and it was contagious. So I was fortunate that it took me – 15 years to figure out who I was as an entertainer, but I started so early. So at 25, 28, I was, when I got back into it, I was, oh, I was rolling. I was the top children's entertainer in the Midwest in my second year in this market. I knew I was going to explode here because I was so different. I knew it. I knew it. Well, you, you, you mentioned earlier the kind of the stereotype of what people think of mm-hmm. magicians. So I, I, I'm curious because I have trouble picking this. How do you actually make a living? I mean, can you really make a living um, doing I'll, magic acts? I, I'll say this. I was able to make a living because I knew my niche and I knew how to market my niche. And I got to give a shout out to Johnson County because if it wasn't for Johnson County in my marketing, I probably couldn't have gone full time. I'll just give you a quick idea. In my greatest year, I probably made over 80000 in my greatest year, I was averaging 300 shows a year for Ooh, almost a, lot of a decade. Lot of work. I pretty much did 10 years in the Midwest market before I said I have to retire. And I partnered with um, Roy Scott, who was the founder of uh, Healthy Hip Hop, and uh, he's a startup. I call him a startup guru now. I mean, it's amazing the things that brother has done. I'm no longer with the company, but I spent uh, six years with that company. We even got on uh, season seven of Shark Tank. Got, got a deal with Kevin O'Leary. Then uh, Disney looked at us as a thread and they blocked us i mean this has been a journey but i've always been an entrepreneur so if i can't scale this you can't scale reggie rage the magic man i can't scale that so i did not want to be 40 years old and the only way that i can make a living is by hitting a stage and saying yeah nah i was good on that (laughs) i'm good on that so then you then you move to uh, you move into the real estate world. Well, real estate and, and and let me say this, Nick. I am. I know you. Uh, some people in the city know that I was a part of an organization called Black Privilege, <laughs> but in all honesty, I, I consider myself an example of Black Privilege. What do I mean by that? I mean that 
uh, I had two mature parents growing up. My father was 34, mother was 36 when they had me, both educated black folk that were born in the 40s. Father a doctor, mother a social worker, private education, grades fourth through college. Uh, I could have taken a college scholarship for sports, but I didn't want to go to that school. My father paid for my college. My uncle is a multimillionaire in LA for real estate. So I've always had the village around me. I've always had the mentors. So that's why I say that I'm black privileged in my own right. I'm privileged. If you take color out of it, I'm privileged. So that's how I was able to own $3 million in real estate at 25 because I started a business, three businesses in college. I owned my first property at 21. How did I get into apartment buildings? Because that's what my uncle was in. That's why I came to Kansas City. I thought I was going to live and create a business and a beautiful life in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I went to college. That's that's why it's funny. I, I love talking to young people because I always say, yeah, have your dreams and your plans, but you don't know what God's plan is for you. I didn't think I'd be in Kansas City, but my uncle owned... I think 48 units because he has LA real estate. And anybody who knows the West coast, that's big time. Right. So the market gets so hot, you need other markets to go to. Well, this area has so many out of state investors because it's cheap to someone in LA. It's very cheap. So he basically had the properties and long story made short. Uh, he was about to just pay the bank off because uh, property management was bad. He wasn't here. And I was a 23 year old at the time who owned two businesses in Charlotte, wanted to be like my uncle. And he said, Reggie, I have an opportunity for you. So I came here, got his properties fully occupied, renovated, flipped, maybe not say that word, got them resold. <laughs> and then I started investing for myself here. So the real estate, I'll say it like this, everything I touched turned to gold until I lost it all at age 27. Everything I touched. Can, are you re ready? Can I ask what happened? How you lost it all? Yeah, of course, uh, because it's been over a decade. Now I can breathe and everything's good now. <laughs> Brother was ready to, you know, I don't want to say kill myself, but boy, um, as many of you can probably imagine, I lost everything in 2007, 2008. But I will not blame the market for why I lost. I'll blame my own blinded ambition. Come on. I had a mentor multi-millionaire mentor who was telling me in 2006, Reggie, why do you keep buying? The market is changing. LA goes, the rest of the country goes. But when you're young, you know everything. And I knew everything. So I just kept buying and I got overextended. So I probably, unfortunately, would have lost everything even if the market wouldn't have crashed. But the timing was perfect because everybody was losing in right. 2007, 2008. So I blended in. <laughs> if the market wouldn't have crashed, I probably would have had more banks coming after me. Not right. going well, I can't knock on wood now because it's past the 10 years. So, yay. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I lost everything because I did not listen to my mentors. And that's a message that I tell uh, any entrepreneur. If you have people who you trust, who have been where you want to go, listen to them. And if you don't want to listen to them, then you just may have to learn the hard way. And I learned the hard way. Which... Those lessons can be good, but they can also be avoided. I think. Uh, I, I think definitely. You're, I think you're right. Having having a, a mentor, whether it's whether it's family, whether mm -hmm. it's whether it's a friend or even a former boss, yep. right? Yeah. Just having somebody that's been there and that can can smack you in the back of the head when you need it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because we all need that, and we we do. And you know, I learned very quickly that when I first started, and I was I was at home in my home office by myself. You know, every idea on the whiteboard was genius, right? Yeah. Uh huh. That's how it is. <laughs> um. But you, so you need that person, right? You to, do. To just be like, no, that's yep. that's not genius. Yep. You don't. Uh. And and a lot of uh, successful people say that you don't need a team of yes people. You need a team of folk who are going to tell you that's a bad idea or rethink that or do your research. You need a team of folk that, uh, uh, and I like using that word, team. Anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur, you need a team. You need to get the people. I, I jokingly say that I'm probably the worst at everything, but I'm the best at finding the smartest people around me, the best people. That's a tough lesson to learn, oh, I think, to, to, to figure out what your lane is. Mm-hmm. And then not go out of it. Yeah, well, it's real tough. Go get people for all those other yep. things. Yep. Make friends, make partners. Mm -hmm. That's a tough thing to learn. V very Cause, tough. Because when you first start, 
you want to get every little dollar, every, every little avenue everything. in. You're right. And so you try to do it all, and mm-hmm. you just you just can't. Nope, nope, surely can't. Let's go back a little bit and let's talk about the you you brought it up the the black privilege business, uh-huh. which was. All I know of it was it was a digital kind of magazine. You were highlighting black-owned businesses mm-hmm. throughout the, the, the metro area. Was there, was there more to it? Uh, there was in regards to we created our own uh, mobile application uh, that was a mixture of uh, Yelp, uh, Facebook. Uh, but the goal was to have our uh, online platform, our mobile app, that was totally inclusive. And that was the thing that was challenging is I said, I'm in the Midwest, which is a a, a kind of a red state, more conservative. And I said, I don't want people to think this is like uh, uh, only black people. We hate everybody else. I did not want people to think that. I wanted people to realize that we love everybody, but there is a problem. So we're just trying to help people identify that there are black owned businesses. It's not support every black owned business. It's, It's find one business that you like and support them once a month, once a quarter. So we developed our own mobile app technology and we launched it uh, in Kansas City. More, this was the market that we tested. Right. So how did, how did that how did that test go? Surprisingly, um, we were amazed of the non-black support we received. I was really excited about that uh, until uh, the Kansas City Star did an article on us after we had our launch, and I looked through the comments. I said, oh, this is where all the racist people are. So <laughs> I said, wow. Yeah, comments can be a dangerous place. Oh, they can. I said, well, these people didn't even read the article. They just saw black privilege and going in. Well, and, and I will remember uh, the night I met you was mm-hmm. when you did a speech out here in, in, in Lee Summit, and you started off with the same thing you just said a few minutes ago where <laughs> – I am privileged. Mm-hmm. And just the use of that word, and it wasn't a huge crowd in here, but, yeah, it just, wasn't. but just the use of that word, there were some interesting looks on faces. Yeah. That word privilege can be, because most people, unfortunately, when should you say, it be as loaded as it is? <sighs> I feel like we're all blessed in our own right, but nobody can control the families they're born into. Not, none of us can. Uh, uh, you can't help that you are uh, that someone is white. I can't help that I'm black uh, in the family that I come from. I think you have to be careful with the word privilege, but it's different for everybody. But I like to use that with myself because normally you don't hear that. You don't hear someone of color, someone who is not white, saying that they are privileged. No, you made a you made a big point in that particular speech and i think you still do now that 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 to ownership of that word mm-hmm. yeah pre- and 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 one reason why we called the organization because black privilege is a non-profit organization but one reason we called it black privilege is because we wanted it to get people to think and to ask questions and and not just people who look like me all people because dialogue communicating i'm so honored to be here on your show today just communicating openly and honestly is is so important it's so important well so i mean let's let's continue that a little bit into today's local national context right mm-hmm. the conversations that are happening and we're, we're we're talking about privilege we're talking about mm-hmm. access because of where you were born absolutely who you were the groups you were born families and groups you were born into the cities that you live yep. in right um and we're also talking about like you said when you saw the magician you saw someone that looked like you mm-hmm. yep and then you just said you you want to get people to ask questions so so what are those questions that we should be asking and i struggle with this because i am a privileged white guy living in a privileged white town mm-hmm. um i feel like i have a microphone and a platform but I also don't want to just use it to use it, right? So I, I struggle with how to get into these conversations and how to actually make them meaningful conversations. So what are those conversations that you think we should be having and the questions people should be asking each other themselves? Yeah. Um, that's hard. But, but let, me, let me give a quick example. Um, I moved out to uh, Lee Summit uh, about a year ago. And the main reason I moved out to Lee Summit is because my wife's mother, her side of the family lives out here, and we want to start a family, want to be close to family. Uh, we moved out to Lakewood. Um, I'll forgive you for that. Yeah, no, thank, you, thank you. 
Uh, and it's weird. We, we love our Lakewood members. Yeah. Well, when I moved out to Lakewood, and it, it's it's funny. I love my neighbors in Lakewood, by the way. Uh, but we started, immediately got a nice house and started doing some work on the deck. And uh, we're on the golf course. And some one of the neighbors came up. And he's like, wow, you are doing some awesome work. And the first thing he asked me was, are you all renting? And I said, I said, wow. I said, sir, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, if I was white, would you have asked me if I was renting? And he kind of had a blank face. And he said, wow. He said, I wouldn't have asked you that. I said, thank you for your honesty, sir. And then for about an hour, we just started talking about uh, our experiences, different race relations. And he admitted that uh, because of his own privilege, because of his own uh, blindness, he's going to be more careful uh, how he communicates. And he appreciated that I did not just erupt and immediately start screaming racist and this and that, uh, and that we could have a, uh, a respectful dialogue. So I can't answer the question of what what is the type of dialogue we need to have because everybody's situations are so different. I think that's true, but I also think I also think um, it's okay to own what each of our perspectives mm. think should be those questions because I think that's the that's the biggest thing. You know, the the school district here has had a lot of conversations yes, about, about about race and empathy and yep. equity, and I think it, you know the empathy part of it really all all comes down to that respect for all of those different perspectives. So if, you know, if you say, I, I hope we ask these questions, we have these conversations, I think that, that, that you kind of have to own and be okay that, that, that it's valid. You are so right, right about and that. And me as a listener or anyone else has to be, well, that's valid because that's your perspective. Absolutely. We, Absolutely. we might disagree. Yeah, and, and disagreeing is okay. Right, and like you said, you, know, you, you were glad you had a respectful conversation, but in today's, you know, social media talking world, it's really hard, I think, for all of us to not, always have that draw a line in the sand moment, right? Yeah, you're right. And I think social media, unfortunately, can sometimes be the worst place in the world. And sometimes where people, because social media is where you can buck up and you can bully, but you aren't face-to-face -face with anybody. Right. You can hide behind your, what they call it, a, a gangster on the keyboard or whatever. So social media, I try not to ever, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm very strategic with what I do. I try not to get I think I've stuff. seen, like, three posts from you since oh, we became yeah, I Facebook friends. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't play. I'm very uh, guarded. I'm secretive if I can be, just because just cause it's, it's a weird world we live in. It's so weird. Uh, so... When I decided to launch my magic business out here, I said, in my marketing, I want to make sure that people know that I'm black because I do not want someone to call me who has a problem and they find out when I pull up that I'm black. So I've did that in Charlotte. I've done that here. So I've always had my own issues of being very careful. And maybe that comes from my own upbringing. My wife, who's half white and half Mexican, uh, she says that until I became a part of black privilege, I was blinded myself. I was naive. I was lost in my own privilege. And I think she was right. What do, you, what, do you, what do you mean? I, mean, I guess, how were, you, how were you lost and blinded? Because I have uh, black peers who can tell you so many different instances to where they've witnessed racism where they've experienced it, where they've seen it. And I can't give you that from my own experience. I can't tell you. I can talk about how much I love white folk, how much I love non-black folk, and how much I love black folk. I can't tell you all this, but once I became a part of black privilege, I started paying attention more and the moves that I make. And a lot of the moves I make is to protect myself me having a fancy vehicle. One reason I did that is because I wanted to make sure that when I'm pulling up at different places in uh, Lee Summit or Johnson County, that immediately you don't just see a black man. You see a black man in a nice vehicle who's dressed nicely and sharp. Because the first thing people see when they see me regardless is a black man. So if you have your misconceptions or you want to judge, you're judging me before I even open my mouth. And that's terrifying. So I'm starting to just understand more of the world we live in and how the type of parent I'm going to have to be if my wife and I are blessed to have children. Because they, even though they're going to be mixed, they're going to be black children. That's how I look at mixed kids. Yeah, you got some melanin in you. Society's <laughs> looking at you like you black. 
That's, that's just those, how I look at it. Well, I, I think all of those things you just said, I mean, those are perspectives that Correct. I don't have to think about. Correct. Correct. And they and that's why they say that why, why white privilege is so prevalent, because a lot of white folk don't realize that your privilege comes just because of the color of your skin. You don't have to go through what so many of us have to go through, these extra leaps and bounds, just because you're white. Getting pulled over, getting harassed, getting this, getting that. You know, it's weird. Um, uh, my uncle in L.A., he talked about how long, when he first started in real estate, he had to lie about the color of his skin because they weren't giving loans to, on the commercial end to black people. He said he had to tell the banks he was white to get a loan. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. And in my head, I'm starting to think about, like, how do you even get away with that? Like, how do you pull that off? But that's but it's it's weird. My uncle is the one who is the founder of Black Privilege. He put hundreds of thousands of his own money into that organization. And the main reason he did that is because he feels that black folk, us collectively, are lost. Collectively. He's talking about us, black folk. And what does he mean by that? Inheritances. See, I know who my great-great-grandfather was because he left a legacy. I'm a product of getting inheritances since the mid-1800s. You probably won't find too many black folk who can say that. Probably too many white folk, but you really can't find too many black folk who can say that. Educated black folk who've been leaving land, life insurance policies. Well, that's when, a big conversation right now, that generational wealth. Oh, and it's very real. 93% of black folk, when they die, leave nothing. 93%. Are you kidding me? So that means that while our white brothers and sisters and Asians and Hispanics continue to increase, we're continuing collectively to really just stay at the same place and go down. No generational wealth, no inheritances, no building. So even though I was big on black privilege being uh, more, uh, what's the word, more inclusive, my uncle was more black privilege needs to help black folk wake up. I never had a problem with the, I'll say the non-black support that black-owned businesses got. I had the problem with the black support black-owned businesses got. Come on, think about it. Black folk are some of the strongest people in this country when you talk about spending power. But we don't collectively spend in our own communities. So I'm going to talk so everybody, white folk, come on. I, we need y'all to support black-owned businesses. And me and my uncle are like, uh, we need black folk to support black-owned businesses. Because the biggest employer of black folk are who? Black-owned businesses. That's the biggest, uh, uh, you know, employer. Do you feel like you moved that needle at all? I say Kansas City is special. And I'm talking about the greater Kansas right, City and right. the urban core, too. I, I'm amazed for this to be a, a, the Midwest, the the support this city has and how uh, black folk are coming more together from, from my lens, from my lens. But I'll still say this, black folk collectively, we're going to have just so many issues that stem all. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. Well, and we can't, we can't dig into all of it. Oh we my can't, goodness. And, and in no way, shape or form could we ever even solve all Thank of it you, here. Brother. Right? We couldn't. Um, but, but I think, but I think it's important to get more voices there mm -hmm. and, and it is part of your, your business story, you know, so I, I, I wanted to make sure that we talked a little about that. I have Thank one last, you. I have one Thank last question about it. Um, you know, I asked if you thought you'd moved the needle at all. Is that, is that nonprofit effort still going? Uh, yes, it is still going. Uh, we're in a special place right now because we launched uh, the mobile app and that was our MVP uh, to really test. And we figured uh, or we learned that the app had, it wasn't perfect. But an MVP is not supposed to be perfect. So now we're going back and we're looking at should we make the changes necessary on it? Should we uh, create a whole new platform? And again, I have to remind folk that the only reason I can have this conversation is because the founder is a multimillionaire with his own money. Because who's going to give us money to do this? Right. Where are we going to raise money to do this? I mean, and I have to give a big shout out to uh, UMB Bank, who actually became our title sponsor a year and a half ago and believed in the inclusive movement. That was huge for us in the in the first year and a half. But um, 
We have a lot more work to do, but we have a young executive director in the city who's uh, continuing to move. We're in the urban core. Our office is in the urban core uh, where the uh, Linwood Shopping Center is, which is a development that is uh, co-black owned as well. So we're going to still move. But uh, the word my uncle likes to say and that I'm I'm saying a lot myself is how are we going to make this sustainable? Right. That's the question. I mean, we popped when we came out. But how can we be sustainable and be able to gauge uh, our efforts? So we got a long way to go and still learning it. Always learning. Yeah. Always but learning. But Kansas City's the market, though. We there we the go. City. Well, let's, 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 let's move, I think, for the, the, the next, next part of this. I, I, I do want to get in. Let's talk about Sabor Latino. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about the local restaurant. Uh, like I said, it's, it's one of my favorites. I, I, I love it. Let's go back to you had a fantastic opening month. Oh my goodness! And then the the the, <laughs> the break screeched to a halt. Yes. Um, I'm asking just about every business owner I get to talk to these yeah. these these same sets of questions. How did you? How are you pivoting? What are you doing to get through this? Because you had time when there was no business. Yeah. You had time when your only business was takeout and or delivery yep. that's not the same as nope. real foot traffic coming inside nope. your restaurant not and even all. now you're not at full capacity inside no we're not so 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 what are you doing what have you been doing to 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 try to survive well first of all let me say this uh nick thank you so much to uh you and your family for your support since we opened and i also want to say one of the main reasons i decided to invest in sabor latino was because of the location. Location, 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 and I'm gonna say it now, downtown Lee Summit is so special. Oh my goodness. If this low, if if I wouldn't have joined the company and invested, and they were at their old location, I mean, they would have just had to shut down and close the doors. We, in our first month and a half, we were trying to figure out and master how to become efficient for dining. People coming in, sitting, ordering drinks, and then at the snap of a finger, we had to immediately pivot to trying to master carry out delivery and first of all we have an amazing team that has really focused on helping us keep up tech wise uh we i won't say that we're the the best or the most tech savvy but in this day and age you have to be able to pivot and i will not sit here and complain because every business i don't care what field you're in is feeling this right now we're all feeling this uh but it's been an amazing journey because, number one, downtown Lee Summit is phenomenal. And this community believes in supporting the businesses here. So I remember our first week, we had just got our website switched over to where we could do uh, online orders. And online orders took off immediately. And the community rallied, not, not just around us, but all of the small businesses, uh, restaurants in downtown Lee Summit. So I have a different experience. Uh, yes, it's not perfect. No, we are not. Uh, I think we're probably a little below break even right now. But to be able to say that in the state of the economy we're in is huge. Uh, amazing landlord we have who was willing to work with us as much as he needed to during uh, this struggling times. But Huge shout out to Downtown Lee Summit. All of you are phenomenal. Keep supporting uh, the businesses that you like because without you all, there's no way that we can make it. So I just have to say Downtown Lee Summit has been phenomenal and we were smart and pivoted as far as making sure we could do the online orders and delivery. So to be honest, we've never shut down. Never. Never shut down. We have been open the entire time because we immediately did online deliveries. Well, you left out a big part of your story there, though. Oh, my goodness. You did. In that after your first month, you realized, we have to change our point of sale system. Oh, You opened goodness. a brand new re – well, it's not brand new, but you did everything new when no, you moved right. locations. And bought a whole new point of sale system. Yes. And yes. after that first month, despite how good it was, how strong that first month was, you had to rip it all out and start over. Yes, yes. And, and it's – See, Nick knows a little bit more of the inside than the rest of you, because I will say this. Although the first month was phenomenal, numbers-wise, we were not as perfect 
as we should have been. And a big reason for that is the POS system we had was faulty and it was causing so many issues. So you can imagine having a new staff that's just learning everything for the first time, our first uh, month in business at this new location, new cooks, everybody trying to get this, and a POS system that's only causing confusion. So we did decide to uh, go with a uh, excited and a tested uh, POS system, and we implemented or that system got installed, I think, a week after the uh, pandemic started. So it was kind of perfect timing in regards to we didn't have to switch out the system in the midst of a super busy restaurant. And um, I told Nick that the uh, it's weird, the, uh, the pandemic, the timing of it for us was a blessing and a curse because our first month was so ridiculously busy that we needed to focus on getting so many things uh, together and fine-tuned and making sure that we can really deliver the best product and take the best care of our awesome customers. So we needed to be slowed down a little bit, and the pandemic did create that. Now, of course, I do not want a pandemic to mess with any of our <laughs> lives, but in this case, uh, it, it, it did slow us down, which allowed us to breathe and put some other things uh, into order, especially that POS system. Why you were why you were talking there and telling that story it reminded me a little bit as I've gotten to know you you um you have a very specific vision of perfection oh. of <laughs> how you want things to run and how you think this business should operate and I think that you uh you seem like you are you're not going to stop until you hit whatever that mark is no, that you that you've set I can't have you have you been that with every well. endeavor because I know restaurant is 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 new. And you, you and I have talked about, you know, how oh crazy that is to dive into this whole other type of business. Oh, my goodness. But, I mean, is that your personality is to always set a really high bar and you're going to find out how to get it, how to clear it? Brother, you are, you are learning me well. Um, as you can probably tell, I'm very naturally passionate. And when I get involved in something, I go for it. I go. And I go all in. And, um, you know, this restaurant, and, and I always jokingly tell people, it is a Latin restaurant, not a Mexican restaurant. So that means we serve uh, cuisine dishes from all over Central and South America. And I always jokingly tell people, like, no, a brother is not the one who put together the, di the dishes and did this. Um, my partners are from Venezuela. And... Uh, and my wife, who is half Mexican, that is her Hispanic side of the family. So that's how I became a fan of Sabor Latino when they were on Woods Chapel. And they have an amazing story of sacrifice, hard work, uh, when you believe in something. Going, You're talking about people that came over to this country with nothing and making a living. And they love America. And I feel like they had something special. But I immediately saw that there were so many things they needed to scale this, to take it to the next level. And although we're so far, every week we're getting so much closer and continuing to build new fans. But we still have a long way to go. And you're right, I'm, I'm a perfectionist in my own right. But number one, it's making sure you put out a great product and the service has to be great. You have to take care of customers. I mean, I probably personally gave back a couple thousand dollars in our first month to customers. When we got things wrong, I made sure they didn't have to pay for meals. Probably would have been more money if I was there 24-7. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I don't care if it's your first month, your first day. You can't give excuses. And you have to try to take care of people. So I'm quick to give out my business card. I'm quick if we did something wrong. I'm quick to admit it and to make sure that we don't make those same mistakes. Well, in light of all of that's going on through you know the pandemic, through just the struggles of opening a bit. I mean, and this is a huge restaurant space compared to where they were. Yeah, it is over off of off of Woods Chapel. Give me some success stories. What do you think? What have you What have you guys nailed? Wow. That's I mean, I'm gonna tell you, there's some dishes that you uh, <laughs> freaking nailed it, but. But, but for you, what are what's a couple of success stories? Well, for me, because I am newer in the business, because this is year 10 for Sabor Latino, and I've been with the company a year now, so uh, I invested to take it to this next level. Um, so there's so many success levels to me because all this is new to me. So <laughs> I, I'll say I'm amazed at the 
the true loyal supporters that this brand had, the people that supported them in year one when they were uh, in a small shopping center, like a 500 square foot building, and it was my business partner and her mother cooking all the dishes, and people that are coming back to support and see in the growth. Um, I'm amazed at uh, the folk like uh, you, Nick, the other entrepreneurs in this area who take the time to come by and have a drink or uh, get a chimichanga or a taco and talk to us. Um, but I'll say this, the success that I've seen the most is the support this community has shown when this pandemic hit. Because the pandemic affected everyone. And it takes nothing for people to all say, you know what, I gotta focus on my family right now. We're not gonna eat out right now. We're gonna save our money. And to see the community rally, not just around us, but around all of us uh, restaurants, I mean, mind blowing to me. I just thought, I'm, I'm an optimistic person, but I was pessimistic when I heard that, okay, we can't open. We have to do uh, online orders. Like we didn't have, we didn't do any of that before. So I just thought that this was gonna, we weren't gonna make any money and this just may end up failing. And the community has just blown me away. Just their, their understanding, their empathy, their support. And I wanna say, I love how this community will come in and talk to my business partners and ask questions about Central and South America and go over to the wall because we are in a, uh, a historic building in downtown Lee Summit and we embrace that history. So there's- And it's up for an award. And, uh, uh, surely is. Up for award. Come on. Uh, and I have to give a shout out to uh, the, our landlord, the owners of the building. They did an excellent job bringing the exterior of that building back to life. That, I, I would love to take credit for that, but uh, we got to take credit for the inside. That's, that's the owners of the building. They really brought that building back to life with those beautiful windows. So when I think of wins, the win is the community, man. The win is just how everybody is just stepping up to be a part and they want to see you win. I love being in a, in a I'm, a, I'm a positive person. So I want to be around people that want me to win because I want y'all to win. And this community wants us to win. I think that is a very special, I, and, I, and I'll include the whole Lee Summit community Absolutely. in that, but, but very much especially in, the, in this downtown district special. where I think people just push each other, mm -hmm. help each other. I mean, it's competition. It but is. it's but it's it is competition to make each other as good as you can be. I, it's, I agree. It's fantastic. And and I want to tell you all that uh, um, Nick told me when we first opened, he said this is the type of community that if you do something wrong, I'm gonna call you in my office. And I'm gonna tell you what you're doing wrong, Randy. <laughs> I said, oh, okay, thank you, Nick. Love you. All right. <laughs> I may not have been that blunt. Well, I might have been. No, I think it was a little blunt like that. <laughs> but I took that as a good thing because um, that's what you want. I don't want a whole bunch of yes people. Oh, this is great. Is it really? If something's wrong, please tell me so we can fix it, so we can take care of people. But I'll tell you this, uh, uh, the chimichangas, oh my goodness, I didn't realize how popular uh, chimichangas were. So good. Oh my goodness. And that's probably uh, one of our most popular. And uh, now we took a couple things off the menu that take more time to prepare. So once we get back, hopefully to 100%, we'll add some of those dishes back. But uh it's just an amazing uh, collection of different dishes, and I just love uh, the regulars we have because we have regulars who come in. I love that the menu is is from throughout Latin America, mm -hmm. that the dishes are are from, from all over. And so I, there are a lot of people, and I've heard some people who are like, they go in the first time, and they're a little disappointed because it's not, it's not Mexican food. It's not food. Mexican, yeah. And it's not American Mexican yeah. food, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, I think once they get past that flip the switch in their head – of not expecting one thing and getting another, I think I think everybody's kind of kind of shifting in. I I tell you one of my favorite ones is, um, I always tell people it's and I can't remember the name of the dish now, but it's it's like a chili relleno, but instead of a chili, it's plantain. Mm, oh, uh, uh, pl uh, the platano relleno. Plat oh yeah. my goodness, that it's is so, so good. And I'm a meat guy, and right. that is. So good. Hey, no, I'm with I, exactly. Is. I'm with it you. Is. Exactly. I think that was the first uh, the first order. I that had that is an excellent first order. And I also say, 
I'm amazed how popular our tamales are. And we would keep running out, and I would keep telling my partners, uh, you know, with where we are now, we can't run out of stuff. We have it on the menu, we have to have it. But now that I know how much time it takes for us to make that, that's like a homemade tamale from Honduran that we're so creating. Good. And it's so popular, but it takes hours, like a day and a half to create. So we're putting together systems so we don't run out of it, but oh my goodness, so popular. People love those. You get two when you order it, and my goodness. Now, I'm, I'm gonna say this, and I've told you this earlier, that if you are if you have a night around downtown and you're hitting, visiting a few of the bars or breweries, and you get the, you, you need to eat at the end, there is a dish there on your menu that is perfect for for a a, a post crawl. Oh, you gotta let me know. What? I, I don't know what it, I can't remember what it's called, but it is basically like fajita fixins on a plate of French fries. Oh, oh, okay. Yes, that is one of our definitely one of it's our more popular chicken and big, steak yeah. and shrimp and onions it's and peppers up. and and yeah. You know, if you and your your spouse or significant other are having a night out at, at, at several of the drinking establishments, and you need a little little food at the end of the night, that's that's a winner, and you can that share is, that. That one. is a fantastic yeah. order to yeah. share. Oh you no, you share. have to share that. Yeah, one. It's, you're definitely taking a box home with that. Yeah, but this is this has been a. Um, an amazing journey so far, but Nick, when you and I were uh, talking months ago, and most most of the listeners know this, one of the most difficult businesses to start and craziest businesses to start is a restaurant. It's very high risk. The majority will fail. I mean, I'm just keeping it real. And I invested in one, uh, but restaurants are very rough businesses. And now that I have uh, almost a year in this, uh, it is so true of how difficult restaurants are and uh, understanding your food cost and making changes, uh, uh, necessary changes at the right time and just being able to balance all that. Restaurants are a rough business. So I'm going to ask you an unfair ooh. question. Oh, no. Will you invest in another restaurant someday? Ooh. <laughs> I don't know if you want to ask me that right now. Like I said, that's an unfair question. It, it, and it, you're only a year in. Yeah, yeah. You got you to give a brother a little bit more time because uh, <laughs> right this second, I'd be like, no. But um, the, one of the main reasons I did invest in this is because, and, and you said it earlier, Nick, is I liked the, the niche or niche or however, you know, people pronounce it. I, I, I like the fact that it wasn't a Mexican restaurant. Uh, I love Mexican restaurants, but you can find a Mexican restaurant almost on every corner. I mean, Mexican restaurants are popular. And then you can find the ones that are, you know, not uh, uh, Americanized Mexican food. So I love the fact that it wasn't Mexican, but still in that category, and that they served food from different parts of Central and South America. And I felt that in the right um, location, uh, a, a restaurant like that can flourish. And I feel like downtown Lee Summit, uh, with the culture and the and the type of uh, customers that this that flock to this area, I think we're in the right area to to win here. But time will tell. Time will tell, and a pandemic came, so we're gonna learn a lot fast. <laughs> we're we're all learning, we're Hello. all figuring it out. Yeah, Reggie, we're gonna wrap it up. I, I appreciate you so much for 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 coming in, spending some more time with me here in the studio, um, and also for uh, investing and bringing another awesome awesome business into our downtown district. You have been listening to Lee Summit Town Hall, a link to Lee Summit podcast with hosts Nick Parker and Jason Norberry. A proud member of the Fredcast Network, you can subscribe to this podcast on most of your favorite podcast apps and catch us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for all the news, analysis, and conversations on the Lee Summit community. Connect with us on Facebook at Link to Lee Summit or on Twitter at LS Town Hall.